Thank you for listening to the Hillsview Men's Ministry. We are a group of men building relationships to equip and encourage each other. Well, you know, sermons are great, teachings are great, but Mike offered to give me the first five points of that message uh, a couple times ago, but I don't like to give the same food out all the time. And so I'm going to pick up with this, Jesus, the lover of my soul, and I want to start this out today with a physical picture of a spiritual truth, okay? You'll find it in Exodus 3. If you turn, if you got your Bibles, it's a story that most of you were taught in Sunday school if you went to Sunday school. Uh, I didn't go to any Sunday school. I got to teach some, but I didn't get to go in as a student. And you know it's the story of Moses, and he's walking along in the desert. And he sees a burning bush. Now, Moses had seen a lot of burning bushes. If you study anything about the desert, they'll, they'll say those bushes will just combust and burn. But something was different about this bush. Moses had seen many, probably many over those 40 years. Look what it says in Exodus 3.3. Well, I'll start with 3.2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why this bush isn't burning. Physical picture of a spiritual truth. I'll show you what I'm talking about. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside... What happened, guys? God called him out of the midst of the bush. God spoke to him. Here's a bush that's burning, but Moses has to go and look at it because it's not consumed. He walks over there. We know that God is in the bush because he's a consuming fire, but he's not consuming the bush. That's Hebrews 10, 29, if you want the verse. Or 12.29 if you want the verse. He's a consuming fire. And when Moses turned aside and walked over to it, then God spoke to him. Let me just share with you before we get into the text that I'm going to go into today. God sets burning bushes in your pathway all the time. In my pathway all the time. And we never go see why the bush is burning. Let me give you one prime example before we get in to this. I'm going to share with you a truth today that's irrefutable, that will change your life if you choose to believe it. It's a burning bush. Pastor Ron hardly goes by a Sunday that he doesn't say, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory, who is the riches of this glory, this mystery, Christ himself. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's a burning bush. Have you ever called him and asked him, what do you mean by that? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because if you do, God will speak to you. I don't mean audibly, like with Moses, but God will speak to you. Christ in you is the, the hope of glory is the water that God has called you and I to walk on today and for the rest of our lives. So I want to take you to something. 
And look up just a few verses with me, those of you that have your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Because the, the Jesus, the lover of my soul, remember I left you with the last time I, I talked about his love being perfect, unchangeable, uh, his love being uh, tender and kind, and I talked about the Trinity. And the Trinity is Father, Son, and Spirit, and they move in a synchronized movement. And I talked about the circle, the circle of life, the circle of love, the essence, the divine essence of love, love and life in the midst of the Trinity, and each one sharing that. And God is the divine dancer. Did you understand that? C.S. Lewis even said, it's a kind of a dance, this relationship in the Trinity. And the Trinity is in a circle, so to speak. And God himself is that circle. And he opens up that circle when you trust Christ and he lets you in and he includes you in that circle. That's who he is. Love himself opens it up. You see, this earth is his jewelry box, is God's jewelry box. And the most precious gem on this planet is you. That's all God cares about, you. That's what he wants. God doesn't need you. He wants you. And this is this Jesus, the lover of my soul. But here's another thing that Jesus did. Look at 1 Corinthians 15.22. I'm just going to give you a few verses to wet your whistle, okay? For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Guys, today, you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. You can't be in both. If you trusted Christ, you're in Christ. If you're in Adam, you've got a one-way ticket to hell. If you should die before you leave this planet. It's just as simple as that. You're either in Adam or in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man. And let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, and he botched the whole thing. He stepped out of independence, out of dependence into independence. He, stopped, he stepped out of light into darkness. He stepped out of life into death. And you and I came into this world, and we inherited all that. In Adam. We were born in Adam and we were married to a method of law because he took out of the law tree. The law of, uh, of, the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so in Adam, we all die, but this first man, Adam, was made a living soul. And he messed it up. Don't worry, I probably would have too if God had made me. And the last Adam, Jesus Christ was made a life-quickening spirit. You know, you don't only need your sins forgiven. That won't get you to heaven alone. You need to have life. In him was life, and this life was the light of men. It's interesting that when I say this to you, I get so many different responses, but here is the irrefutable truth. Birth, not behavior, is your identity. Birth determines identity and not your behavior. 
Get that? A legalist will look at the Bible and see what would please God and obey the rules that God has here. But a man of grace will look at the one who lives inside of him and ask him to live his life through them. I remember my wife and I years and years ago, we went to Branson and Penn and Teller was there. And I, I like illusionists. Some of you know who Penn and Teller is. They're illusionists. And we went to the show, and they had a pre-show before Penn and Teller came on. One of the guys had opened for him, and this man, there must have been 1,500 people there, and he asked for volunteers, and of course nobody's going to raise their hand, and if you do, you're a fool. So they went out, and I think one guy raised his hand. And he got four people. Uh, one was from Arkansas, one was from Florida, I forget where the other two were from. And he says, I'm going to hypnotize you. And, of course, a couple of them just laughed. And he sat him down in a chair, and he had this little chain thing, and sure enough, he hypnotized him. I thought maybe it was kind of a put-on, but it wasn't. He said, the one, you're, when, when I snap my fingers, you're going to act like a dog, you're going to act like a cat, you're going to act like a chicken, you're going to act like a duck. And sure enough, he, he snaps his fingers and they play the part. They're, they're barking on stage, they're meowing as the cat or whatever it was, the duck, the chicken. The lady put her hands under her like this, like a chicken, you know, and I think one was a turkey now that I think about it, scratching the ground. And everybody was laughing, it was hilarious. And then he clapped his hands and they sat down like they were just sleeping. And woke up. And they heard people laugh and they couldn't figure out why they were laughing. And they showed the video on the screen. And of course they sold multitudes of those videos. That's why they do this. And these people just couldn't believe that they were doing what they saw themselves doing. They were living out of their identity. That wasn't who they were. Birth determines identity. Did you get that, guys? Your birth. Look, my dad's name was Howard Pulse. I'm Howard Pulse's son. I will always be his son as long as I live on this earth. He's gone. He's in heaven. But I'll always be his son. I have sometimes shamed him as I grew up. There were sometimes I did things wrong. But I will always be his son. If he was so angry at me that he would make me change my name, I would still be a Pulse. That will never change. And when you trusted Christ, you were birthed, and here's how it would say it in the Greek, you were birthed spirit. You who were flesh, you and I who were flesh, the day, the moment, the nanosecond you trusted Christ, you were birthed spirit. I can remember meeting with a man that uh, was was a, uh, I'm trying to figure out to keep his uh, identity kind of thing. He was the president of a prominent Baptist seminary in Dallas, Texas, who wanted to be a pastor. And he was a professor at that, t uh, he taught there too. It's a prominent one. And I met with him because I had taught under his ministry for eight years. He was one that was 
He wrote several books. He was one that traveled the world. He was always on call to do uh, meetings and, and all kinds of stuff he was involved in. So a lot of times I just covered the Wednesday nights while he was gone and sometimes Sundays. And he'd be gone sometimes two, three weeks at a time. And so I met with him one day. He wanted to always take me out for coffee sometimes. So I met with him and he said, well, how's things going? I said, well, I want to take you through a little exercise, Pastor. And he said, okay. I said, who are you? Well, he looked at me and said, hey, we've been together for almost 10 years, 8 to 10 years here. <laughs> you should know who I am. I said, no. And then he gave me his name. I said, no, that's your name. That's not who you are. Well, then he said, well, then he gives me his resume. I, I, I was president of this college. I, I was pastor here. Now I'm pastor here. I said, no, that's what you do. That's not who you are. He said, well, what do you want? I said, well, just, just play along with me here. Who are you? What, who do you think you are? See, guys, let me just give you a side note. I told you I'm a recovering legalist. Remember that? I can spot a legalist a long ways away. And when any man or woman starts giving you their resume right off the top, after you've met with them, I can tell you one thing. They're deep in legalism. And I knew that. I knew that about him anyway before we met. But anyway, I said, he said, well, what do you want? He said, well, I said, he said, I'm a husband. I said, well, what if your wife dies? Then what are you? Well, he's getting frustrated. You know, don't pull this on an enemy. You might get shot, but try and pull it on a friend. I said, well, I said... He said, well, I'm a, grand, I'm a father and a grandfather. I said, well, what if God takes your children and your grandchildren? And you don't, what are you then? He said, Terry, what do you want? And I said, Pastor, all you are is a man in Christ. I said, if they chop off your arms, your legs, cut off your head, you're in there someplace, and all you are is a man in Christ. That's all. Now, can I prove that to you? Turn to 2 Corinthians 5.16. I'll just use one of many verses here. 5.16. Every one of you know 5.17, I'm sure, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new. All things are new. That word create, where we get creation from, means to make totally new. Not just renovate you, but to make totally new. Here's what it says in 5.16. A lot of us don't know this verse because we go right to 17. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. When I look at you gentlemen out here today, and I'm assuming everyone has trusted Christ, I don't see any man after the flesh anymore. I see spirit beings that are alive with the life of Christ. Amen. Andrew Murray, the great preacher in the 1800s, said that every congregation where Christ in you, the hope of glory, is taught should be addressed, first of all, before the preacher gets up, as men and women in Christ. Isn't that interesting? 
because it verifies that your birth is in Christ. You understand? That's what he's doing. Every time he opened up, and remember those are the days that they had no microphones and he had over 3,000 in his congregation and he would address them. Men and women in Christ before he started his sermon. And several times would he use it. Birth determines identity. When you trusted Christ, something happened to you that, that is so great that Paul said that I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor thoughts have entered into the hearts of men the things that God has prepared for them that love them. Now, look, I hear that taught, or I heard that said at many funerals, but that's not the context. Because Paul goes on to say, and God has revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things for the yea things. Yea, he says, the deep things of God. That's 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 11. And we have something happen to us that is so fantastic that we don't realize it. We're looking at our behavior all the time, our, the good and the bad, what we do. We let the devil beat us up. We let the enemy beat us up. And we don't realize that we are birthed spirit. Not birthed in spirit, but birthed spirit. You became alive like you never were before. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and the day you trusted Christ, He not only forgave you of your sins, but He made you into a new creation. He made you into somebody you never were before. Did you get that? He made you into someone that you never were before, and yet that's not taught. You are a new creation. That's not taught generally. You're a new person. You're no longer in Adam. Your history ended. You have no history. Your history belongs at the cross in Christ. No more any of the other stuff, all the stuff that we did that was wrong, all the sins that we're going to commit back then, commit now and commit till the day we die, all those things are gone. We've been forgiven. We're in Christ. We're alive with his life. And the day that I trusted Christ, the day that you trusted Christ, God crucified me with his own son. He crucified you with his own son. And while Christ was dying for our sins, you and I and him also were dying to the sin. You see, when you look at them in your Bibles and you read the word sin, don't always... Consider it to be a behavior. Because most of the time it's a noun. Sin the noun produces sin the verb. Learn to take care of sin the noun and to deal with sin the noun, indwelling sin, and you will sin less. You understand that? That burning bush, it's right before you. Well, don't, don't get me wrong, birth determines identity but, and not behavior, but behavior is important, and I'm going to let somebody like Ron explain that, okay? But next to a knowledge of knowing God, knowing who you are is the most important. Knowing who you are. 
You're no longer in Adam. Don't live like that any longer. Don't let that past beat you up. I can remember walking into the prison one day and a, a man approached me, about 30 or 40 prisoners come in and, and I was teaching there at the time and this man approached me. I would led him to Christ years and years ago at Safeway. Baptized him at First Baptist Church. He had killed a man. And he saw me and he said, the tears streaming down his eyes, Terry, can I be forgiven? His name was Dan. He said, I killed Mr. So-and-so. I said, I know, I read about it in the papers, Dan. He said, can I be forgiven? I said, you already are. That's the truth. He already was. He made some bad decisions. He hurt some family. Another family. But one of the most effective tools that the enemy uses to ill to, is to infiltrate our thinking and get us to thinking that we are poor sinners saved by grace. Let me ask you today, guys. This is a trick question. Don't answer it if you don't want me to say <clears throat> Excuse me. Are you a sinner saved by grace? Or are you a saint who sometimes sins? You can't be both. Charles Stanley says one night on, and he got a lot of flack for it, and I'm sure I'll get some flack. He said, sinner saved by grace, where in the world did anybody ever come up with that? He said, you're saints. You cannot go back to being a sinner. Yes, you sin, but you cannot go back to that classification again. You are a new creature. You are a saint who sometimes sins. And if you live your life as a sinner saved by grace, you've set your up, you set yourself up for failure already. Think of yourself as a saint who sometimes sins, and think of yourself as a saint not when you sin, because that's how most people live their lives, believers. Think of yourself as a saint still if you sin. My little children. These things I write unto you, that you sin not, but if, 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 not when, any man sins. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he's not only a propitiation for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. On a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate yourself? Well, this pastor I was talking to, he put himself at a seven. Another guy I talked to that had all kinds of problems and was coming to one of my classes in another church, he put himself at zero. You know what they both were? Tens. You know what you are? Ten. You might not feel like it. You might not even act like it. But that's who God says you are. Your birth spirit. You're His. No more sins to be brought up ever. Now some people say, well Terry, you're giving me a license to sin. No, I'm giving you the freedom to live for Him. I'm telling you something 
that is not taught in a lot of places that Pastor Ron teaches almost every Sunday. Well, crucified. I was crucified. You were crucified with him. We died. Never more to live. We died. If you read chapter 6 of Romans, in the first 11 verses, it tells you you died nine times. Just so you didn't get it the first time, we died nine times. I mean, we died, it's listed nine times. Uh, we were crucified with him. We were buried in that tomb with him. We were in Christ before the foundation of the world. We were in that tomb with him. When he was raised from the dead by his father, we were raised with him. When he ascended with his father, we ascended with him and we were seated with him in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2, 6, with him. And when, we were done, when that was done, he hid us with Christ in God. And then when that's finished, we're going to return with him someday. We're never apart from Christ. Like Jacob said, surely God is in this place. And that was true of Jacob. But surely God is in you. He's not only in this church on Sunday. He's in you if you're a believer. Crucified. Buried. You are a spirit that came alive. Your new source of life is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul could say, For me to live is Christ. He knew other no. He knew no other life but Christ. For me to live is Christ. That's it. For him to live through me is, that's it. For of him and through him and to him are all things. At, your, at your, the moment of your salvation, a great exchange took place. Let me just share with you. I hear this comment, and I know what people mean, mean when they say this. I gave my life to Christ. Can I tell you something, guys? He don't want your old stinking life. He killed it. And he replaced it with his own. Did you get that? You're new. All brand new. Nothing more needs to be done. If, if a plane dropped out of the sky and killed all of us today in this place, you're qualified to get to heaven. That's it. Right now and forever, you are in the beloved, Ephesians 1.6. Right now and forever, you are God's piece of poetry. Because he says, for you are, you are my workmanship, my piece of poetry, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, that I prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, Ephesians 2.10. John, uh, we're fully accepted. As Christ is in this world, so are we. 1 John 4, 17. You're righteous and holy right now. Don't think about your behavior. Think about who you are. Remember those people that I said got hypnotized? They believed a lie. Yeah, they were. it was entertainment. They believed a lie. They believed they were. Really, that chicken. Do you know what's worse? There's, men, there's multitudes of Christians that still believe that they're a filthy, rotten sinner saved by grace. And don't know that they're actually a saint 
Now, I know my wife says I should watch myself sometimes, and you know, I'm sure your wives tell you that too, but one time I was witnessing to a Monsignor in Sioux Falls. I was Catholic for 25 years. He wanted to know why I left the Catholic Church. And First of all, when he shook my hand, he said, I'm Monsignor, whatever his name was, in Sioux Falls. And I said, well, I'm St. Terry. Amen. Well, that didn't go over so good. And my wife said to me, she does this to me, you know, you shouldn't have said that. Well, I did. <laughs> I couldn't pass I, I couldn't pass it up. But they believed a lie, and there's many people that still believe that lie today. The burning bush before you. Those guys were deceived, and we've been deceived a lot by a lot of bad teaching. Can I say it's just bad teaching? I know it was done by people that were sincere people that really had a concern and love for the people out there, but it's bad teaching. I wonder, have you and you here today been hypnotized by this false identity? Because you know what? You're really a hypocrite if you don't live like you know you're a saint. You're doing what the devil wants, and the devil doesn't want you. His definition of a hypocrite is to act against your feelings. Mine is to say, I don't feel like I'm a saint, Lord, but I know I am because you said I am, and I'm going to give my life, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you live your life through me. A believer who believes he's a sinner is saved by grace, that's saved by grace spends his time on the defensive against the enemy. He's always looking for the enemy or something to happen. A believer that knows he's a saint goes on the offensive and deals with it as it comes. You know, folks, uh, fellas, you have the Father's DNA in you right now. You know what DNA stands for? Divine nature from above. 2 Corinthians 1, or 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. My DNA genetic code changed. Yours changed. You got the divine nature. You've been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. This is this Jesus who loves you that did this. And I would ask you this question because I pose it to a lot of people. Does your knowledge of your salvation end at the cross with the forgiveness of your sins and you're going to heaven someday? Then you only have half the gospel. You should know about the indwelling Christ, the one that Pastor Ron preaches on almost every Sunday without fail. Christ in you, the hope of glory, to find out who he is. So guys... There's more written in the Bible about you and I living a victorious life than there is written about heaven. You realize that? For you to have the victory, let me just give you just a couple of them. Death reigned through the one, Adam, as a king. Look at all the cemeteries. 
Death reigns. Go down to Sturgis down the road. Death reigns. Much more. This is Romans 5.17, by the way. Much more. Did you get much more is infinity more. Much more. Those who have received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in this life as a king forever and ever and ever. Now I gave you a little bit of the Greek there with you. It won't say reign as kings, but that's what that word means. That's used. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says, The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. And thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 says, I'll have you look at it with me so you can see it yourself. Second Corinthians 2.14 says, Now thanks be to God, thanks be to God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes us manifest the Savior, the Savior, of his knowledge in every place. Did you realize that? Wherever you go today, whether you feel like it or not, God is leading you in his train of triumph. In Christ. In every place. Everywhere. You're in Christ. And I always say this, and I say this to my kids, I say it to my grandkids. You don't want to die with 1 John 1, 9 as your life verse. You know what 1 John 1, 9 says? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You don't want to die with always relying on 1 John 1, 9. It's not that you won't go to heaven. You will. But that's a defeated lifestyle. Defeat. When you already have the victory, you don't want to live that way. Well, I gave you the burning bush. Let me give you another one. Let me just tell you about it. You'll have to trust me. It's in, it's in Exodus 4. Remember, Moses says, I can't go and tell Pharaoh. I can't go and tell him. I'm not eloquent enough. I can't. And what Moses has in his hand is a staff. He lost the palace. He lost the chariots. He lost the perfume. He lost the ladies in Egypt. That was all taken away from him. The, the beautiful garments. All he's got is a staff in his hand and a, ro a, a rugged robe on him. And he said, I can't do that. And God says, throw down your staff. The only thing he's got to herd sheep with. Throw it down. He was asking Moses, this is a picture language here. In our day, I would be saying, let Christ live through you. So Moses throws it down. And of course, you know the story. It's very, you know, he's told later to pick it up. It turns into a snake. He's told later to pick it up. But what I want you to see, it's you giving your life to Christ, a physical picture of a spiritual truth. You allowing Christ to live through you. Because after that, that staff 
is called the rod of God. All through the work, all through the Exodus, the rod of God. Whenever you see it, the staff of God or the rod of God, not Moses' staff. For me to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. And I'm going to stop there because I'm going to just challenge you. We have a preacher in this church, Pastor Ron, and I, I want you to know this. He's only, in my, through the people I know, and the churches I've been in, and the churches I sometimes frequent, he's one of a handful, one of just a handful, who can teach Christ in you the hope of glory. Get that? Just one of a handful. There's not many. Just like we were talking at the table about heart surgeons, how they fly them in to do the heart surgery. They're, they got a specific task they take care of. You got a preacher here today in this church that is one of a handful that can teach this. And you know what? This is a burning this is a burning bush for you today because it's burning are you going to turn aside and see what it is that's my question to you that's my challenge to you because statistics tell me that less than 10% of an audience and I think that's even high when Christ in you the hope of glory is preached will turn aside to go look If that's true. So I'm challenging you today. Talk to Pastor Ron and tell him you would like to know if this is that burning bush before you today. It's not, might not be for you today. But if it's that burning bush before you today, ask him to teach you about Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because that is the water. Let me say it again. That is the water that God only recognizes us right now to walk on. Everything else is less than grace. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you so much that we are not sinners saved by grace, but Father, we do thank you for saving us. We're not sinners saved by grace, Father. We're just going to take your word for what you said. We're saints. We're saints. We're glorious. We are filled with the triune God. We're filled to all the fullness of God. You are our all in all. That's all we want. And I pray for these men, Father. They love you. I just pray, Father, that you would reveal to them those that you've wakened today to the burning bush that you would show them and teach them like you've taken some of us and taught us very tenderly with your love, very tenderly and kind. For we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.